you are holy. No one in and of ourselves can stand in your presence, but we thank you, Lord, that you have given Jesus a Savior in our place, someone who came with such grace and mercy, such love, such forgiveness, so that through faith in Jesus, we can stand confidently in your presence. We can know you personally. We can have that hope and confidence of eternal life. And I pray that now as we open the scripture, that you will teach us, prepare us for how, Lord, to represent you to the world around us. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So today we're focusing on a Bible passage that has five words. It says, strive for peace with everyone. It's a short passage, just five words. So you may be thinking, well, this is great. It's going to be a nice, short message today. Now, it's a short passage, but it is a massive topic. Strive for peace with everyone. Now, I imagine you can already recognize its relevance because when we look at the world around us, there is a distinct lack of peace. When we look around us, we see so much strife, so much division, so much anger. I mean, it's everywhere around us. Strive for peace with everyone. It's five words that deserve our full attention. I invite you to turn to the Bible this morning, the Hebrews chapter 12. And if you did not bring a Bible but would like to follow along in one, you can grab one from the pew and turn to page 1,213. Now, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you may notice that we're going backwards in the book of Hebrews. Because last week we were in chapter 13. Today we're in chapter 12. You may wonder, why are we going backwards? Is this going to be the never-ending sermon series where we just kind of go forwards and backwards, forwards, backwards? You know, there's so much there we could do that for quite a while, but that's not actually the reason why we're going backwards and forwards. The reason is that we're here at near the end of the book of Hebrews when it gets into a lot of practical uh, just application, a lot of just instruction for how to live. And it's jumping from one topic to the next without necessarily following a logical sequence of thought. And so really the, the sequence of topics is kind of interchangeable. And so last week I wanted to be able to focus last Sunday on the importance of hospitality to strangers, which is at the beginning of chapter 13. That was in preparation of our neighborhood party that we had yesterday, and it really was a tremendous event. I mean, several hundred people there, uh, just lots of people from within the church having fun, lots of people from the broader neighborhood and community. It was just a wonderful event, so heartwarming, so encouraging. I mean, I really couldn't have imagined it going better. It was a, it was a great time. That's why we focused last week on hospitality of strangers, just kind of set the stage for that. Today, though, we're backing up to Hebrews chapter 12. We'll be there next week, and then we'll jump back ahead to Hebrews 13. Um, we're going to look into our passage. I invite you to follow along as I read. We're going to read the broader passage in which our five-word passage is embedded. So I'm going to pick up in Hebrews 12, verse 14. It says, Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. 
But you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, the passage I just read is longer. It actually contains two themes. One is peace that we're looking at today. The other theme is holiness, which is the, the greater part of the passage. We'll look at holiness next week from the, the same few verses I just read. But today we're focusing on peace. Verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone. Now, this is a command. It's not optional. It's not a suggestion. It's not extra credit for those who are super spiritual. I mean, it's not a concession for those who are pushovers and people pleasers. It's a command saying that if you identify yourself as a Christian, you are to strive for peace with everyone. Now, to help us understand and apply this command, we're going to focus on three words out of those five. The words strive, peace, and everyone. First of all, let's talk about peace, because that's kind of the centerpiece of all this. I would define peace in this context as people getting along by treating one another with civility and respect. I mean, there certainly are other types of peace, kind of like this inner calm and tranquility. But in the context we're talking about today, we're talking about relational peace, about peace between people. And so relational peace is people getting along by treating one another with civility and respect. Now, this type of peace does not require everyone to agree. That's kind of a misnomer that people sometimes think about, a misconception, thing. well, if you want peace, everyone just has to agree on everything. That's not the type of peace we're talking about. In fact, you can experience peace even while having some strong or significant disagreements with people around you. The key, though, is to intentionally treat people with civility and respect. When I look at our society around us, I think one of the reasons why there's such a distinct lack of peace is that people largely have lost the ability to disagree respectfully. Yeah, Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive for peace with everyone. It says everyone. This means that Christians are called to pursue civility and respect with all people, not just with some people who think and act like us. You know, it's relatively easy to get along with people who are like us, who think like us, who act like us. It's relatively easy. I mean, it's not super easy. Because anytime you have people, there's still a decent chance for some sort of strife or challenge. But it's much easier in general to get along with people who are like us. But God is not saying here just to get along with people who are like us. He says strive for peace with everyone. Similarly, over in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18, the Apostle Paul says, Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So it's talking about everyone. The Bible's calling us to live with civility and respect, even with people who we think are definitely wrong. I mean, that may sound counterintuitive. It may sound like it doesn't make any sense. How can we do that? Even when other people are definitely wrong, we're still called to, to treat them with civility. Treat them as if as we would want to be treated in return. Let me share with you a passage, 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26, that helps to support this idea of treating everyone with respect 
and civility as we would want to be treated. 2 Timothy 2, 24-26 says the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth, and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. I'm going to unpack this verse, these couple of verses in a minute, but I want to point out that the other person's wrongness is not a valid excuse for our rudeness. This passage is saying that even if the person we're interacting with is wrong, very, very wrong, that's still not an excuse for us to be rude to them. I mean, look at who this, this passage is talking about. I mean, it's talking about someone I mean, who is seeking to follow God. It's talking about how they're relating to someone who is definitely wrong. That person is labeled as an opponent, meaning that they oppose some, sort, some, some aspect of the Christian message. This person is clearly in the wrong, and it even says that they are doing the will of Satan. I mean, that's someone who's definitely wrong. And, and you know, a typical reaction today is that this type of person needs to be opposed aggressively, using whatever means necessary to, to come against them. And, you know, it's even tempting for Christians to adopt the world's attitude that we need to fight fire with fire. To think that, you know, if they're being rude or disrespectful to us, then, then we have the right to be rude and disrespectful right back to them in return. You know what? That's not the way of Jesus. And that's not the way of the Apostle Paul. And besides, two wrongs, as you've probably heard, don't make a right. And on top of that, biblically speaking, to be right the wrong way is still to be wrong. You know, our tone, our attitude that we bring to our interactions matters, even when we're convinced the other side is wrong. I mean, Paul clearly says that when we are interacting with opponents, even with people who are clearly dishonoring God, he says that we should still treat them with civility and respect. I mean, let's look at these descriptions in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 26 that I read. It says that we are not be quarrelsome. So it's saying there, don't be quick to get into arguments. It says, be kind to everyone, able to teach. So not ramming it down their throats. It says, not resentful, which points to not just keeping a list, a running tally of all the ways that they are wrong. You know, they should be instructed how? Gently. Instruct them gently. And then the results are left to God. It says, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. This reminds us that we cannot force people's hearts to change. I mean, we can encourage them, but we can't force anyone's hearts to change. And if we become harsh toward people whose hearts we want to see change, odds are good that harshness is actually going to lead them to harden their hearts against the change that we want to see. And the Apostle Paul, he really practiced what he preached. I think, for instance, of Acts chapter 17. It's a really fascinating account where Paul is in the city of Athens. Athens back then was kind of the pagan center of the Roman Empire. 
Paul's there in Athens. He's walking around the city and he sees all these altars and statues and, and temples to all these different pagan gods and goddesses. He's recognizing this doesn't honor God. This is not the way of what is true about God. Now, Paul has the opportunity then to speak to some of the leaders in Athens. And what attitude do you think he brings to that discourse or that discussion with the leaders? Do you think he comes in with guns blazing, just ready to blast them about how wrong they are about God and how they need to repent right now? And they, I mean, do you think he's going to come in just very aggressively? No. In his interaction with them, even though he's convinced that they are wrong, he's still showing civility in how he is communicating with them. He seeks to build bridges to them, find common ground. He even affirms them in ways where he can find agreement with them. Now, you see, he's not watering down the truth. He's very clear that Jesus is the one true God. But he's doing so with civility, with respect for them, even as he knows that, he, that they are wrong. And we can see the fact that he is doing this in a peaceful and in a peace-promoting manner because the people there in Athens, those, those pagan leaders, actually invite him back to share more about that. You know, if he had burned the bridges there, if he had come out super aggressively against them and was harsh, was rude, would they have invited him back to hear more? Probably not. And so we see Paul practicing what he is preaching. And it shows that the tone makes a difference. Unfortunately, as we look at the, at the world around us, this virtue of communicating with respect, with civility, talking with others as we'd want them to talk with us, that's a virtue that has been lost in many different ways. And I think about what's influenced that. I know social media has undoubtedly contributed to this issue, this loss of civil discourse. I mean, I think about how rare it is that you see a contentious issue brought up on social media that then those who, who you know, have a different stance on that contentious issue say, hey, can you share more about that? We'd actually like to hear more. We'd like to learn more about what your, your, what your thoughts are on that stance. That is so rare. That doesn't happen much at all. And that's because controversial content on social media is usually not shared with the heart of genuinely persuading others, as like Paul was doing in Acts 17, but rather is frequently shared with an attitude of bashing their opponents, venting their frustrations, and rallying those who already agree. And in this type of context, is it any surprise that our culture lacks a relational peace in how, how we view and relate to one another? I mean, it shows that, that civility and respect matter. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that God wants us to live at peace with those around us is because it impacts our ministry. I frequently say the gospel flows best over the bridge of relationships. Now, what, what happens if in a spirit of rudeness, or harshness, or not even caring about how others feel or respond, or we're just overly aggressive? What happens if in the process we end up burning those relational bridges with those we are trying to reach? Are they then going to have much interest when we talk with them about Jesus or church? Probably not. It makes a difference 
and ministry. But you look at Paul in Athens, he, he built a bridge, uh, including with respect and with civility, with those people, those, those pagan leaders in Athens. They invited him back because they wanted to hear more about what he was talking about with Jesus. And it says a number of them actually became followers of Jesus. This communicating with, and relating with humility, with respect, with civility, just treating others as we want to be treated helps prepare the soil of their lives for the seeds of the gospel. Strive for peace with everyone. Now it starts with the word strive. Let's talk about that word for a minute. Striving means to make every effort to live at peace with everyone in your life. You know, let's just look at this from a practical perspective of why practically it's beneficial just to strive to live at peace with those around us. Think about how draining it is when you have a relationship with someone that's breaking. We probably have all of those times where we lay in bed at night just with frustration festering in our minds as we're thinking about how so-and-so hurt us that day. Or can you believe that they did that? And we just let that turn over and over in our mind when we're supposed to be sleeping, but it's keeping us awake. Or when we have a broken relationship with someone that can so easily hang over us like a cloud through the course of the day. It can, it can be just sitting back there gnawing at us in the back of our minds when we're supposed to be just doing something enjoyable or having a good conversation with a friend. That type of thing in the back of our minds that keeps running through our minds in those circumstances that drains that joy. It makes us not focus on the present. It's hard, and this affects people of all ages. I mean, my kids are currently in fifth grade and seventh grade, and I see for them that when they have challenges relationally with peers or even with each other, just how that drains their joy, drains their sense of energy in life. And this applies even for the youngest of kids. I think of even you know, like a three-year-old who's dealing with strife with their sibling or, or with a friend. I mean, it just it poisons that entire experience for them. So this stuff that we're talking about, about striving for peace with everyone, it's applicable and relevant for all ages, for all people. This stuff is super important. It says strive or make every effort for peace with everyone. Now, there's something I want to clarify here. Some of you are probably hearing what I'm saying here, and you're having in your mind something that goes like this. You're thinking, Brandon, this sounds really nice, but it's not very realistic. Because, you know, there's so-and-so who is just so mean to me. You don't know how mean they really are. There's so-and-so who's hurt me in this way, or they don't even know how wrong they really are. Now, the reality is, even as we strive for peace with everyone, there are probably still going to be relationships that at least at times are not going to have peace, no matter how hard we try. And some relationships get broken to the point where no matter how much we do, the relationship is not going to be able to be fixed. And the reason is because relationships are two-way streets. It requires both sides striving for peace, both sides communicating and relating with civility and respect. I mean, think about Jesus. He used to be our model in pretty much everything. I mean, he didn't experience peace in everything, relationally. I mean, look, he went to the cross. He was crucified. I mean, that, that's evidence 
that he was certainly not living at peace with everyone around him. It wasn't his fault. Remember, relationships are a two-way street, and there were people who certainly had it out for him. The reality is, no matter how hard we try, there are going to be times where we have relationships that are broken. But that still should not be an excuse to not strive for peace with everyone. I really like the wording of Romans 12, 18. That says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. That, that says, okay, from our side of the street, from our side of the relationship that we have influence over, do everything that we can. We can't control the other person. We certain, certainly can influence our side. Now, there is so much more that, frankly, I want to say about these topics. There's a lot more. This actually was one of the hardest sermons I've had to put together in a long time. And the reason was because there was so much that could have been said. I mean, in fact, um, I left about probably at least three hours of material for this sermon on the cutting room floor. Because I figured you probably do not want like a three or four hour sermon this morning. And if you want that, I could give it to you later, I guess. But, I mean, the reality is... um, so the way I prepare sermons, it's a word document, and I mean, you know, you have your main part of it, and then I'm cutting stuff out as I go. I'm, I'm putting in ideas, I'm putting in quotes and stuff like that, various points I think might be decent. But then I have to cut as I go as I refine the sermon, and as I cut it, I almost always will cut and then paste it down at the bottom of the document, just in case I want to pull it back up at some point when I, uh, I'm, I'm refining it a little bit later. Now, the sermon I'm giving today is four pages long in a Word document. And then usually near the end of my sermon prep process, I, I, I highlight and then cut and paste everything that I'm not planning to use into another Word document just in case I want to pull it back in uh, last minute, just in case I want to use it in the future. And I did that yesterday and cut and paste the stuff that I was thinking about using or I wanted to use but had to get cut. That was 11 pages. The sermon is four pages long. I cut out 11 pages of stuff that I I had thought at some point this week would be good to include. But the reality is, I don't have time to include it all. There's so much that could be said about living at peace with everyone. Now, I would commend to you, if you want to dig deeper into these topics, a series that I gave last fall called Healthy Relationships. It goes a lot deeper and a lot broader into how we live with healthy relationships with those around us. If you want to find it, you can go to our, uh, our website here at Freedens. It's freedenschurch.org. Go to the resources tab. There's a sermons link right there. You can scroll back to last fall and find those sermons on healthy relationships. But for now, I just want to close with four questions. And as I, I, as I pose these four questions for us, just remember to strive for peace with everyone. That's what we are called to do. That's what God is calling us to do. That's what is clearly written in Scripture. Even though it may make us uncomfortable, even though we may have all these other caveats or all these other exception clauses that we want to insert there, of, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? I would say that still, no matter how wrong we think someone is, no matter how, how dishonoring to God we think their stances are, it's still not a reason to not treat them with civility with respect, treat them as we'd want to be treated. Because that helps build bridges that can, we can then influence them, and it doesn't help anything to stoop to their level if they're being rude or disrespectful. 
Anyway, strive for peace with everyone. Let me offer us four questions for consideration and application. First of all, is there a conversation you need to have to pursue peace in a conflicted situation? In Matthew 18, 15, Jesus said that if, if you have someone who sinned against you or hurt you in some way, you should go to them just between the two of you to seek to resolve the situation and reconcile the relationship. Now, having these types of conversations does not guarantee the situation will be resolved. But what does guarantee that it won't be resolved is if we refuse to have that conversation in the first place. So perhaps this week there's a difficult conversation you need to initiate with humility and with respect to seek to restore a relationship. Here's a second question. Is there bitterness in your heart that you need to release to God? Bitterness. Now in this passage that we're looking at today, it's Hebrews chapter 12. One verse after our main verse that we've been looking at, it says in verse 15, See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Bitterness is a deep-seated resentment towards someone else that poisons us and poisons our relationships with others. I mean, it's a huge topic. And I believe that one of the reasons why when we look around our society and see so much tension and division and anger, I believe that one of the big reasons why is that there's a broad sense and spirit of bitterness that's active in our society. And if you recognize that you have bitterness in your heart towards someone that you need to release to God, I mean, trying to deal with it with them is a good thing. But also releasing it to God is so important so it doesn't poison you and your relationships and if, if that's you, if you realize, you know, I have some bitterness I need to release, I would commend to you two passages just to, to process on this week, meditate on, pray through. You can write these two passages down. One is Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Romans 12, 17 through 21. The other one is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. Those are two passages that are really good just to meditate on, to pray through when it comes to releasing bitterness so it doesn't poison us in our relationships. A third question. Do your influences promote civil, respectful relationships with those around you, even those you disagree with? I mean, if not, maybe we should really rethink our sources of influence. Hebrews 12, 15 again says, See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. This shows that bitterness spreads. I mean, I think about how when I hear the rhetoric coming from many political commentators, I mean, it's frequently full of bitterness, this deep-seated resentment toward their political opponents. I mean, it's been going on, it's not a recent phenomenon, it's been going on for a long time. But it begs a question, let me ask a question. Does the source of our media intake reflect the attitude of 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 and 20 through 26? That's the passage I kind of read and talked about earlier. Does the source of our media intake reflect the attitude that Paul commends in that passage, even, even of how we relate to people who disagree with us? You know, maybe it's time that we spend less time on TV or the internet or social media or political podcasts and more time with the Bible. 
or more time out there just with people, getting to know them, hanging out with them, getting to know them, rather than just hearing caricatures of them from the media. That type of thing makes a difference. Here's the final question. How does the love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus impact how you relate to others, including those you disagree with? Ephesians 4, verse 31 and 32 say, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So Paul is saying, get rid of those things. Don't let them be a part of your vocabulary, your words, your actions, your attitudes. Get rid of those things. Because they are not characteristic of how we as Christians are relate to relate to those around us. Instead, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, this doesn't mean that we should water down all the truth uh, that, that God has revealed to us through Scripture. But it does mean that it should impact how we relate with others. You know, if we relish the love, grace, and forgiveness of Jesus... That ought to flow through us in how we relate to others. Now we're going to close this morning with a song called His Mercy is More. And I want to read a few of the lyrics from the song just to remind us of the heart of God, how he relates to us. It says, What love could remember no wrongs we have done? Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sums. So that's saying, okay, when God has forgiven us, he, he is not keeping a tally and a list of all the wrongs that we have done in order to hold them against us. It says, What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What Father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. In that context, I remind us of our main passage today. Strive for peace with everyone. The primary, the best motivation we can have for living at peace with others is because of how God has strived for peace with us. God has opened every door. He's made every, everything. He's done everything that's needed in order to have peace with us through Jesus. And that love, that grace, that forgiveness can motivate and empower us to live with peace with those around us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have made a way through Jesus for us to have peace with you. Even though we were your enemies, we were resolutely turned against you. We have rebelled against you so many times actively as well as just passively ignoring you. But we thank you that you have not given up on us. You've not turned your back on us. You welcome us to yourself through Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we will reflect that love, that grace, that kindness, that care to those around us. That even when we encounter people in situations that rub us the wrong way, that have hurt us, or even that are obviously wrong, that we will be able to relate in those situations in a way that honors you. That we will not stoop to the level of sinning in, in how we relate. That we will not stoop to being rude or being demeaning to others, but that we will, you will empower us, Lord, to communicate, to relate with civility, even with respect for, our brother, for others who are made in the image of God, that we will be able to do this, Lord. This is hard. We need your empowerment because we all have relationships that rub us the wrong way, that have hurt us. Lord, help us to release bitterness to you. 
Empower us, Lord, to forgive others as you have forgiven us. And I pray that we will be conduits of grace. We live in a world that's in deep need of grace, in deep need of your, your peace and your life, Lord. I pray that you will empower us to build bridges in our relationships with others so that more and more people will come to know Jesus, even as you work through us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.